Uh, when I was in high school, parts of which I still remember, uh, there was and still is a syndicated radio program that was uh, broadcast and it was called Powerline, uh, hosted by Brother John Rivers. And Powerline combined um, secular pop music uh, with Christian music and an inspirational message and even responses to the struggles and the questions of people who uh, wrote into the Powerline problem panel, and uh, we listened to Powerline every Sunday morning as we were getting ready for church, mostly because it came on right before the Lutheran hour, uh, which is why my dad was tuned into that station in the first place. Uh, but one Sunday I heard a story on Powerline, it really clicked with me, and it got me thinking about where a lot of people uh, were and must still be in their spiritual journey, so much so uh, that I, at the, an 11th grader at the time, wrote into the program and asked for a copy of the transcript. Uh, of that story uh, because, of course, you couldn't make online requests back in those days. Uh, and it came to me, and uh, I have used that story in numerous places on numerous occasions, you know, all my ministry. And uh, I dug it out, and I'd like to share part of it uh, with you again here today. I thought about putting it on my smartphone and reading it from there, but I, I chickened out. Anyway, it goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a fellow named Mike who thought he wanted to be a Christian. He heard about it, and it seemed like a good idea, but he wasn't wild about the idea of going to church. And so he went out to a local fishing hole and said, I baptize myself, and jumped in. Then he got some bread and wine and said a few more words, including, I do this in remembrance of him. He rewrote the Lord's Prayer and said, My Father who art in heaven, instead of our Father. He tried loving other people, but got a lot of hurt feelings in the process. He bought a Bible and got to passages about Christians being like parts of a body, but he really didn't understand what that meant and didn't think it was necessary, and so he just skipped over those, though he did wonder why Jesus talked so much about people in groups. Still, Mike rejected the church and stuck to meditating by his fishing hole. He even left money on the shore as an offering and prayed alone under a tree. Mike finally got discouraged, lost interest in Christianity, and reverted back to his old habits and ways. Uh, I don't know if that story is literally, literally true, but I do know that it definitely clicked for me and that it might even ring true for some people today. And it also brings me to another story. And that's the one you just heard from the 10th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews in uh, the New Testament. Notice that I didn't say St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews because St. Paul did not write this letter. In fact, we really don't know who wrote this letter, although it was probably some well-known, well-respected church leader like Apollos or maybe Barnabas or, or somebody else. But we do know who it was written to and we know why. And that was the community of Jewish or Hebrew Christians who lived in Jerusalem or maybe Rome or maybe some other places who came to know Jesus not only as their Savior but as the promised Messiah of Israel, but who were now at a place where they were thinking about going back and walking out of that faith and checking out of the church and reverting to their old habits and ways. 
maybe in part because the persecution of Christians was just around the corner for some of them and was already underway for others among them, and maybe because uh, being a follower of Jesus was just somehow uh, so unfamiliar, so, so different from anything that they had been used to or that they uh, imagined. At any rate, uh, the letter to the Hebrews then is actually an appeal to people who are tempted to check out of the church and of the family of God, encouraging them to stick it out and also to stick together. And the last part of that passage, as you heard, uh, instructs them as a, exactly on how to go about doing that. And uh, as we heard in a translation, my favorite translation of uh, this one verse, he says to the church, uh, don't give up or don't neglect the practice of meeting together as is the habit of some. In other words, don't be like Mike in the story that I got from Powerline. Keep on meeting together. Keep on encouraging each other over and over, more and more, every day. Keep your hope alive. Keep your confession uh, going together. And I love this part. He says, provoke each other to love and to good deeds. And, you know, when I think of somebody provoking you, I, I don't normally think of love and good deeds, but that, that's what he's saying. Because, you know, when you invoke something or someone, you're asking them to come to you. But when you are provoking something, you're the one who's bringing it. You're stirring, you're stirring up the pot. You're the instigator. You're the stimulus. Provoke each other to love and to good deeds because when you keep meeting together and you keep encouraging together and you keep loving together, you keep doing good things together, you can expect that Jesus is going to show up at that meeting and he is going to make you strong and he's going to help you go on, not just in the good times, but even and especially also in the hard times. Martin Luther famously said, uh, if you want to know where God is, then just go to where God's people are, which is another way of saying that our faith, as has also been said, is always meant to be personal. It's never meant to be private. In fact, there are 50 different times in the New Testament uh, where the words each other or one another are used to encourage us to keep meeting with each other, greeting each other, welcoming each other, honoring each other, forgiving each other, bearing each other's burdens. I mean, this whole thing at the end of the day is fundamentally about relationships. And yet Paul does talk in uh, at least two of his letters about how the church is like a body made up of many parts coming together. And, uh, and as you know, you know, for a part of the body to fulfill its purpose, it's got to be connected to the rest of the body. Otherwise, it doesn't fulfill its purpose. Otherwise, you know, it basically shrivels up and it dies. That's how it works. If you ever gone to Walmart and bought a bike, you know, for your son or your daughter, your grandson, granddaughter, and you know, you're sitting on the garage floor, and you got a chain over here, and you got handlebars up here, you got a seat over here, and you got a frame behind you, and you got a couple wheels next to you. Do you have a bicycle? No, you do not. I know that I, I have done this. You have parts, and the parts all have a purpose. 
but they never fulfill their purpose until they all come together. And then you got a bicycle. And that bicycle helps you to start rolling through this world. And in just that way, my purpose as a child of God is fulfilled when I come together in this community, when I come to the meeting, when I'm part of the family, and when together we're the hands, we're the feet, we're the voice, we're the eyes, we're the heart of Jesus, and we're rolling for the hope of the world. In fact, uh, one of the first symptoms that something's going south in your spiritual life is often your separation from the community of believers. And so there's another story that I think about uh, on a day like today around a word like this, and it is a true story. In fact, it's a testimony that was given by a man who lost his wife. And he talked about going back to church and how hard it was to go to church. Because in his words, I couldn't even sing the hymn. I couldn't sing the, I couldn't sing the liturgy. I couldn't say the words because all I heard was her voice saying the words next to me all those years. But he said, then I realized something one day, and that is all the people who are around me in my spiritual family. And I realized that they were saying the words for me when I couldn't say them for myself because I was hurting so much. And when, by the grace of God, you know, they carried me through, and I got to a point where, you know, I could say the words, I could sing the songs again, he said, that's when I realized I got to be here every time. Because I never know when somebody's going to walk into that sanctuary, and they're going to need me to say the words for them, because they can't do it, because they're hurting because they're wounded, because they're in trouble, until they can sing, until they can say the words of faith again. How about that? And so at the end of today's passage, the writer tells the readers, you know, how to stick together in the family of God by going to the meetings of brothers and sisters in Christ. In the first part of the passage, he talks about why we should do that. And as I said, this letter is unique because it was written to Hebrews or Jewish Christians. And so in the letter to the Hebrews, you find all these connections uh, back to the Old Testament, including some uh, quotations from the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah in today's reading alone, which talks about, you know, a new covenant that was coming. And then in the very next chapter, you know, there's this list of their, of their heroes from the Old Testament and how Abraham and, and Noah and, uh, and others kept the faith, you know, against all the odds. And, and you don't find material like that in, in some of the other letters, like Paul's letter to the Philippians. Why? Because the Philippians weren't Jewish. They were Gentiles. They didn't know about any of that stuff. But this letter is different. And that's why in the words that you heard this morning, the writer of this letter very cleverly compares the ministry of a Levitical priest in the temple in the city of Jerusalem who made sacrifices every day, all day long with the Christ who he calls our great high priest 
who makes a once and for all sacrifice so that their sins would be forgiven forever. He talks about the curtain. Do you see that in verse 20? The curtain was the part of the temple that separated the priests from the people. But on the day that Jesus died, what happened? Curtain in the temple was torn into, from top to bottom. Meaning that the sanctuary was no longer off limits. That the way to God was open. That the time of sacrificing over and over again for sins that would never be fully wiped away was now coming to a close and that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the great high priest who made his sacrifice, who shed his blood, is now your meeting place with God forever in the good times and even and especially in the bad times too. And if I'm a first century Jewish Hebrew Christian and I'm reading this letter, you better believe that I'm having second thoughts about checking out. Because being a follower of Jesus doesn't make life instantly easy. It means that Jesus is bigger than my sin. And he's bigger than my loss. And he's bigger than my pain. And the difference he makes is all the difference in the world. I don't know if you ever thought about checking out because of something that happened to you in your life. I'm telling you, in these words, that we don't often preach about, quite frankly, we have some encouragement to stick it out by sticking together in the family of God. And so today we give thanks to God for a part of this body who for more than a quarter century has been leading our confirmation ministry and along with a number of others over the years invested and continues to invest in the spiritual futures of the next generation of Christians here in this family of faith. And we give thanks for that part of the body. On Friday morning, I was at uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital uh, in Baltimore where an 18-year-old member of this congregation is battling a rare form of lymphoma. And in the midst of that illness, of Andrew's illness, his parents were scheduled to adopt another child, six-year-old boy, officially and literally on Friday afternoon. But because Andrew is battling lymphoma at Johns Hopkins Hospital, they couldn't make it to court. So the judge went to the hospital. And this priest got to be there to represent all of you, to give thanks, to welcome Caden Harold into the Richmond family, into the St. Andrew family, to pray for all of them, and to look forward to the baptism of that boy already scheduled for next month in this very room. Eleven days ago, in this sanctuary, we gathered for the funeral of a 98-year-old woman by the name of Ruby Behrens, who uh, was a low-profile but highly active member of this community since 1966. Ruby and her late husband, Ed, uh, did not have children, and what extended family they did had predeceased them 
or weren't able to come here for that service. And so there was no blood family, which led me to assume that that service on a Wednesday afternoon, 2 o'clock, was going to be very small. I choked up when I walked into the commons, and I saw a crowd out there to come in here, not to greet her family, but to be her family. Led by two families in our community who cared for her along with many others at St. Andrew, so that a woman who, if you'll pardon the expression, was a gem, was nurtured by a beautiful congregation all the way into eternity. You know, last week we were so blessed uh, by the ministry of not only a dynamic preacher, but a big fan of what God is doing here at St. Andrew. I got to tell you, with all due respect, uh, Concordia College, New York President John Nunes doesn't know the half of it. Anyway, the story of Mike uh, that I first heard when I was in 11th grade and shared with you obviously stuck with me because I'm still using it and also because about eight years later when I was uh, doing my uh, seminary uh, internship, I got with that church's high school youth group and we raised a bunch of money and we bought two half-hour slots of time on a local radio station and we produced a program together. And uh, we played Christian music, and, and those kids broadcast their stories and their struggles and the blessings that they have known in the family of God, and they put out an invitation for everybody who was listening to come to a temple where everybody is welcome. In fact, one of those teenage kids is now on the staff of that church to this day. And heaven help me, if my math is right, he's about to turn 50. <laughs> In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of that letter says that when Jesus made his once and for all sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God in the midst of all the things those Jewish Christians could relate to, that one may have confused them or tripped them up just a little bit because if there was one thing that you did not find in the temple at Jerusalem, that was a chair. Because that priest never sat down. Day and night, he kept making one sacrifice after another, after another. But according to the letter, this great high priest sits down at the right hand of God. Why? Because he's the king? No. It's because his work is done. It's over. It's complete. And your sins are forgiven forever. This is not a perfect church, and it's not going to be as long as I am in it. <laughs> but this is the purpose of the meeting. It is to come in response 
to a sacrifice that's already been made. It's to know that you've got a place in the sanctuary, that you've got access to God, that you are welcome here because of the sacrificed blood of the Lamb, and that you have sisters and brothers in this family where we meet together and we encourage each other and we have hope together and we share the words and we share the songs together and we provoke each other in all kinds of wonderful ways and we say our Father together because we have been saved and we have been loved and the curtain is torn so that we can come in and do our part and sit down and enjoy the Lord and His grace because His work is done. And so, thanks be to God for the great high priest who does this work for you and for me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.